You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. What are you reading this week? What are you reading this week? Another, what are you reading this week with Cliff Garner? And uh, Cliff joined us on the line again live from Istanbul, so to speak. Obviously, this won't be live when we <laughs> put it into the show, Cliff. But um, what are we, what are we reading this week? Uh, we got a new book um, because we did uh, five, I think, I think five or five episodes with um, right. the occult philosophy of the Elizabethan age. But what are we going to look at this week? Well, yeah, we could have done a lot more than on that. And, I know, uh, I know. We could possibly come back and do more. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, because of the uh, the occult tradition talks about that end of uh, things, and uh, and it and it goes into some other stuff that mm. uh, is even tangential to what's in this book. That's right. But the book we're looking at is uh, uh, the Twilight of Atheism: The Rise and Fall of Disbelief in the Modern World uh, by Alistair McGrath. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty new book. Uh, I think it's only a couple years old. Let me check the date on it real quick. Uh, oh, oh, 2004. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's a little older than I thought. But, but it's uh, pretty timely, actually. Uh, uh, the, so the fact is is that uh, atheism isn't what it used to be. Yeah. And uh, Alistair McGrath himself is a rather interesting fellow. Uh, mm-hmm. Here, let me, let me uh, give you a little bio. Hey, let's see. He was born... Uh, January 23rd, 1953, he's Northern Irish. He's a theologian, priest, intellectual historian, scientist, and a Christian apologist. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, on the faculty of science and religion at uh, and the faculty of theology and religion at Oxford. I mean, this guy is uh, pretty serious business here. Yeah. Very uh, brilliant. Uh, he, he started as a... Uh, a scientist in Belfast that focused on mathematics, physics, and chemistry, and he ended up at uh, Waldham College in uh, Oxford in 71 in chemistry. And from there he uh, worked on to uh, molecular biophysics, and then he, went, he uh, became Christian in, in the 70s. But originally he was an atheist, and... Uh, so he uh, has a lot of, actually, a lot of regard for atheism as a, a religious belief and uh, a philosophy, and he, he really, uh, really does. It, it's kind of amazing uh, how much regard he gives it, and the respect that he gives it because of the people that uh, actually made him an atheist to begin with. Uh, you know, you had... Uh, Marx, for example, is one, and you had uh, just some incredible minds have been atheists, you know, over the last couple hundred years. And, and, and there's no getting around that. I mean, they, they have shaped our culture into part of what it is. His analysis is just so good. I, I, he, reading this, is, it was a joy. It was a, very few books have gotten me to just turn the pages the way he does. I mean, he goes... 
he goes from uh, the Re Voltaire and the French Revolution, he goes back to the American Revolution, he goes on, he talks about deism, uh, a little bit about Freemasonry, but not much. But then he uh, doubles back a little bit, and he starts talking about Descartes, and how Descartes was trying to make an absolute uh, philosophy that could never be contested before the existence of God. And instead it became actually a, a tool of deconstruction uh, that, that ultimately it was so subjective that, uh, that it couldn't prove anything. So it, it, it backfired. And that, that because of that, there was a huge void in thinking. And that's why you had the existentialists that would come, up, come along later. And most of them were atheists. Not all of them. But uh, Kierkegaard uh, being a notable uh, Christian writer. But he doesn't even talk about him. He talks more about Camus. And, uh, and Camus, uh, for me, uh, uh, he was a, a more important thinker uh, as far as my thoughts were concerned. And, uh, and he, then he talks about Decide. Decide was one of the first real true atheists to come forward. And a lot of people don't want to think of Decide as a thinker, but he really was. Um, a dirty mind, mind you, but... Uh, That's right. Yeah. But, but, but the, the ramifications of his story, these things were thought out very clearly by, by Decide before he wrote it. And they reflected a philosophy that... Really, he didn't so much uh, write about as he did teach to people directly. Uh, and so what you had is a, a kind of a, an anti-Christian, uh, anti-religious uh, libertinism and, uh, and actually a, a belief in the ultimate cruelty and, and maybe even trying to make that into a virtue. But really his criticism of Christianity is actually quite good. I and mean, he, does, he does see the vices of the church uh, rather clearly in the vices of people within it. And so his, uh, his criticism and anti-clericism, this was all part and parcel of the French Revolution. And then uh, he comes into what, what he calls the flowering of atheism. And this is Feuerbach, uh, Marx, and Freud. And those three really are the epitome of uh, atheistic thinkers that were actually in one sense or another, extremely uh, influential. And Feuerbach uh, himself, uh, there, he's, he was not as good a philosopher as, say, uh, for example, Schopenhauer. But he influenced Schopenhauer directly. Uh, Schopenhauer would never have existed were it not for Feuerbach and actually Eastern religion uh, with Feuerbach, he, or with uh, Schopenhauer. He, he got a lot of that from, uh, a lot of his ideas from uh, Buddhism. But uh, which in itself... Uh, could be uh, could be called an atheistic religion uh, to, to some extent, uh, but but Marx was probably the most uh, the most important of the three, and probably the best thought out of the bunch. And uh, he had a lot to say about uh, about Marx and how he he had this vision of removing religion as a factor in society as to create a new natural religion, that the natural religion would not be any religion at all. It would be absolutely atheism. And that, uh, that this would be the true nature. So, so what happened uh, with, uh, with atheism, it, with Marx, is kind of interesting. Um, prior to Marx, your deists basically believed in a god of nature, 
you know, they're trying to strip away the Christian God and all the Christian elements of it, right? The unknown God that uh, exists before all things. That going back to that that idea, okay, and and they, stripping it of the magical practices that came often with the Neoplatonists. But with Marx and the atheists, they're even getting away from that idea, and the natural religion now is no longer a deistic idea, but it is an atheistic idea. And this is the key thing with Marx. Feuerbach was trying to go there. He didn't quite get it. Uh, He wasn't consistent enough. Schopenhauer was probably far too, in some ways, mystical himself. But with Marx, it, it came down to that becoming the true religion is no religion. Okay? So so with him, it, it was a big change. So when Freud starts taking some of the ideas Marx has brought up, which he does do, he tries to make it look like religion is a disorder of the mind. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And, and, and so this has taken, you know, everything and turned it all upside down. And that's how we end up with the world we have now. And we're kind of backing away from it. You know, I mean, one of the big things that's caused this backing away is Jungian psychology. And Jung was a, actually a, a, a sympathizer with the Nazis, but he, he was a person who was concerned with spirit. He always disagreed with Mar- uh, with uh, with Freud on on the, the idea of sex being the bottom line. You know, it's not just sex, and 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 atheism. No, no, atheism is a terrible thing. Uh, that there is a, a spiritual need in man, even if God doesn't exist. This is where where people forget what what Voltaire really said. If God didn't exist, we'd have to invent him. Well, he didn't just say that. Here, let me read read that real quick because this is beautiful. Uh, and and it really does tie directly into it all. If heaven stripped of their noble imprint could ever cease to reveal him, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him, whom the sage proclaims and whom kings adore. They never read that fourth line. Mm. They never read that fourth line because they want to make Voltaire into an atheist. He's not. But he, but he is saying that that the idea of society without God is going to be almost a hell. <laughs> and yeah, and it and it will be, and it is. <laughs> it, it is exactly, exactly, and that's that's the thing. People people really misunderstand it, mm. and really, and, and one of the things he gets, in, and I'm almost done with kind of an overview of what he wrote. Uh, the person who was probably most important in the English-speaking world, and probably in the West in general, in, in creating this opposition between religion and science, and, and making sci- uh, science into an atheistic religion, it was Bertrand Russell. Yeah, yeah. And and he was uh, he was pretty pretty shamefully uh, obvious as a propagandist. So anyway, but, but Russell was really the one that, that, that made it to where that there was that opposition between science and, and religion. Th- that all comes from that with Shelley and, and the Promethean liberator. Oh yeah, we get rid of God and we'll become as gods. We will be the Promethean 
rising, the Prometheus Unbound. And so he, he goes around in this, and he talks about a few others. Uh, uh, one of the notable ones that I really wasn't aware of is a guy named uh, William Kingdon Clifford. And he, he's the one that actually feeds into Dawkins uh, most directly. And that's one of the reasons he is so critical of this guy. And, and, and his logic isn't very good, actually. And did you tell me that McGrath has had um, debates with Dawkins? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're actually, they actually were friends. Uh, okay. I think they are still. But, uh, but they, they don't agree. And he strongly disagrees with them on religion. Uh, he wrote Dawkins' God. And he does repudiate uh, his old his old philosophy. However, like I say, he he does see that there's a value in it. In, in that, when 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 atheism is strong, the church is strong. Yeah. And abusive. I can see that. Yeah. And when atheism is weak, the church is actually doing what it ought to be doing. Isn't that a marvelous thing? So what we need to do is we need to keep in mind that this criticism that comes from that belief can be valuable, can be very valuable. And it's a challenge to us. But the thing is, the challenge right now is failing because they have proved themselves to be very poor at ruling. As a matter of fact, poor and hopeless. And because of that, I don't think that they'll... I don't think they'll last a whole lot longer. Uh, right now you have, uh, in, in China, uh, Christianity is just growing exponentially. And he talks about, and he gives other examples too, but, but one of the most marvelous little examples he gives is about uh, Korea. And Korea, uh, they, they started the church in Korea right about the same time they did in China, just a little bit after that. And, and speaking of which, I, one of the most incredible churches I've seen was in Beijing. It was uh, actually done by Cardinal Ricci in the 1600s. It was Portuguese style, just beautiful, beautiful cathedral. And so the church started just a couple decades later in, in uh, Korea. And uh, the church had been persecuted. You know, the people there were, were basically Buddhist. Uh, but uh, they were you know, also nature religion and things like that. And they would periodically just wipe the Christians out. and uh, But they kept coming back, and they, they would be about 1% of the population. But when Japan came and uh, conquered the uh, peninsula there, uh, the church was about 1% of the population still, as it had been. But the people there were part of the liberation of Korea, and he had a statistic of, of 123 people who were executed by the Japanese on, on one, one occasion of an uprising. Out of 123 of them, 98 of those people were Christians. And so because the church was, was willing to stand for something, stand for something good and right, and also because it did do the things that the church ought to do, and it was, and it did suffer persecutions. Uh, you know, the, the people people should learn better than to persecute the Christian church. Uh, the Middle East is right now; is, is, it's happening like crazy, and it's like I say, I think Islam's going to break. But the thing is, is that 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 any time the church is persecuted, it grows that much stronger, and. 
And it's because we teach things like turn the other cheek and uh, to love your neighbor as yourself and things like this. So this is the gospel. And when the gospel is being preached, the church is effective. Mm, that's right. And, and the church in Korea has always been effective. And and by the time World War II had, had come and gone, because it, the Japanese were there longer. They were there a lot longer than just that. They came over in the 18, late 1800s. Uh, that by the time they left, that that the church was a very sizable part of the population, and by the year 2000, they said it was 49% of the population of South Korea alone. They don't know how many Christians are in the north. But you know something? There's a lot of missionaries going from China, and there's a lot of them that are crossing the border in Korea. I, I've talked to people. I've talked to people in China. I've talked to people who've been to Korea. And I've talked to people in missions, and, and whatever the percentage is in, in North Korea, that's one of the reasons he isn't afraid to just kill them all. Well, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because just last week um, some friends of ours came out from Brisbane to visit, and um, they bought a Korean missionary. She's on sabbatical in New Zealand and Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. So they came and had dinner with us, and she is a missionary to China and Malaysia. She spent uh-huh. several years in both, and I can confirm basically everything that you're saying because we had a good uh-huh. talk to her while she was here because her English was pretty good. Because um, sure. our friends uh, um, go into have been to Korea, I think, three or four times, and they teach English there um, in sure. a Christian setting. So I can confirm everything that you're saying. But... Um, so this is going to make for a very interesting discussion here. So let's get into this, Cliff. The thing is, is that, uh, you know, I, I keep talking about uh, about Christendom and how it is not necessarily uh, directly connected to uh, Christianity. That's right. But it, it, is, it is the cultural milieu of which uh, Christianity has been in as a dominant part of the culture. And the the influence of Christianity upon that culture cannot be underestimated. And the, a lot of atheists wish that it were not so. Well, that's a very... Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to be nice, but it really I, I can't avoid it. It's a very foolish thing for them to wish. Because if you look at the, the pagan culture that uh, Rome had been, were it not for... Uh, uh, Constantine to have started the change and for the other emperors to maintain that change uh, you, you know abortion would have been a, a common practice much earlier uh, and not only that uh, uh, the elimination of girl babies would have kept the population way down you see this is this is something that uh, has been uh, a, a development that has affected the whole world, even even that we're not Christian-oriented, is that uh, the female children were unwanted children, and they were just an extra mouth to feed. So they, they were basically left to the, the elements. And, uh, uh, and it's sad to say, but that's, uh, that's what they did. Yeah. And the pagan culture of the time, uh, the Greeks, uh, there were people... Uh, uh, there, in fact, there's been even a study on it on, on the, a number of people who became uh, very uh, powerful whose name was Kopros. And uh, so they talk, talk about Kopro names. And, uh, and Kopros means dung. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and actually it has 
a very slangy kind of meaning too. I mean, it, it's not uh, it's not a technical thing. These people named themselves after poop <laughs> because they were thrown on the poop pile and somebody picked up the baby and took it home. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and there, there's been studies done on this, and th this was a huge uh, factor in the rise of Christianity. Uh, that that they that they were saving children and they were not killing females. So little by little, uh, the, the population of women. Well, guess where they were. So in order to find a wife for a for a poor boy, you had to go talk to a Christian family. Oh my! Imagine that. So so the uh, the thing the thing was is that uh, that eventually the uh, Christian Church was going to become a huge factor in the civilization of Rome. And which includes uh, the Middle East and uh, also Greece, <coughs> because simply of the, the fact of women and the fact that they were growing in that manner. Uh, there was never a, an issue of saving life. Uh, human life was valued. Uh, now, the Jews were the big rivals in that. Uh, isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, in fact even when the, the West had become thoroughly Christianized, there mm -hmm. were still occasionally families that would... Uh, Ditched their babies because they couldn't afford them, mm -hmm. and the Jews were known for picking them up. Okay, yeah, and and that's part of where that blood blood libel comes from, mm. is that they they accuse the Jews of stealing babies. Yeah, yeah, it's like where'd that baby come from? Mm. You're all dark haired. Why is that baby blonde? In fact, they were saving them. In fact, they were saving them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and that uh, that is a fact, and mm. uh, that's something else that has been that have been proven over time, and uh, the, the blood libel is. Uh, of course, uh, well, it's a lie. Uh, so that 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 we do know. Uh, so so like I say, the, the Christendom was going to arise anyway, and and it has been a factor in the fact that the uh, the Christian West has interacted with the rest of the world, and there has been effects on the rest of the world. And uh, so you you had uh, one of the reasons why China has such a huge population is people stopped aborting babies. And why? Well, it's kind of a second-hand influence, but uh, people looked on that with shame. And, and that came into their culture from that, because they, they at one time didn't care. They used to just throw them on the dung heap like everybody else. Well, it wasn't only until recently that, um, especially in um, rural areas, they still were exposing female oh, yeah. um, children. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. They still Babies. do. Mm. And, uh, and, and, but it, it was also something that started picking up a stigma. Mm. And that that does come from intercultural contact. Right. Uh, the East was right. uh, was uh, uh, isolated for so long that when it finally came to uh, you know Britain, <laughs> you know the Opium Wars and everything else. But uh, <coughs> for better or worse, <clears throat> there there were other influences too that came that came along with uh, the exposure to the West. <laughs> some of them were not good, but some of them were, I think. But you do have a huge population problem in China now. And uh, that, that's part of where it comes from is that they stopped they stopped getting rid of children, mm. and they they were making an effort towards uh, towards raising them themselves. Uh, it became shameful to not not raise them. Yeah. yeah. So, so so the uh, keeping up with the Joneses uh, does have a has an effect on on a lot of different people and a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, other things. But but you know if you didn't have that you wouldn't have respect for women and uh, this also came as part of the. Uh, the rise of the Christian West, and this is part of Christendom. And, and I, I've gotten in arguments with a, a certain of my extremely secular friends, uh, 
and some of them some of them are atheists, some of them are not. You know, some of the New Agers and stuff. But uh, but you know, they they take the uh, the uh, multicultural kind of a uh, uh, perspective, which I I share a certain amount of that. I I you know I, I think it's good to be aware of and uh, respect other cultures and uh, and uh, like uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, uh, the wolf, the the writer, he he uh, he pointed out one thing about a, a political correctness. It, it it might not have always been good, and sometimes it censors people. But there is a certain amount of uh, uh, thoughtfulness that goes into it, and I, I think that that has not been an all bad thing. And uh, and I I have to agree that sometimes that uh, it has made for a more civil discourse, and uh, so so that that's. Uh, that itself uh, would not have ever flourished in, a, say, in a, the middle, the Muslim Middle East. It would never flourish there. When, when you look at uh, cultural influences and things, you know, you, you hear people talk about the uh, the relative enlightenment of Islam, and it's true that they they were relatively enlightened in certain points in time. But that was also because they were not the majority; they were ruling, but they were a ruling minority. In, in, in the culture, so they really had to be a little more open-minded. Uh, once once you started seeing the uh, the Middle East uh, more of a Muslim uh, culture, that, that that came with uh, uh, the eventual effects of the Ottomans and uh, their periodic uh, persecutions and stuff. Really tilted the uh, balance in favor of Islam eventually, and uh, and that that's really where you see the stagnation of Islam is that they were no longer regarding other religions because they, they didn't feel any need to. Uh, and this was largely from theologians. Uh, uh, it's unfortunate that the liberal uh, Islamic uh, uh, theology has never really taken root in the culture. Uh, this is a very unfortunate point, but it is one that has to be noted. And that's one of the reasons why, if you look in the Middle Eastern countries, that you find very few liberal theologians. Uh, Turkey is one of the exceptions, and uh, there there are some trends here now, uh, particularly with Mr. Erdogan, because the particular brand of Islam that he is promoting is stricter than what has been customary here, and uh, there's a lot of people who are objecting to this, and. Uh, and not only that, uh, his recent turn towards a more uh, authoritarian uh, rule, uh, there's there's reason for us to be concerned about him. The culture does influence what happens in it, and what what happened with the West could only have been possible within a Christian milieu. And when when we look at the history of the, the thought, you know, it, it really kind of makes sense when you start thinking that way that uh, you started getting people who were more open-minded about uh, maybe uh, nonconformity, uh, especially in England and, uh, and Germany. And, and you also had a, a certain amount of uh, influence from the, um, the Jesuits on the um, <clears throat> Counter-Reformation. Yeah. While they weren't really open to new ideas so much, they were yeah. still accepting science. Mm-hmm. And they were they were making sure that there was a, a very pronounced uh, difference between science and the other things. So this this did promote the uh, breaking away of certain aspects of science from the occult. 
And between the Protestants and, and they're kind of looking at people like D going, well, what are you really doing, Mr. D? There was this, this uh, development in which the occult started becoming a little bit more separated away, this esoteric ideas, uh, as, as, a, as a body of thought. Okay, now, now there, there's, uh, we could go into a lot of uh, digressions talking about what magic is, because magic uh, does arise out of every type of culture. And there are people that, that, for all practical purposes, might be Christian, but they're practicing magic. I mean, it's like, well, God, what do I do? And they close their Bible, open it, and stick their finger down, and it tells them something. That's divination. I'm sorry. That is divination. So... This can develop any number of ways, but but the thing is, as an organized body of uh, literature and thought, and, and as a trend, you know, it started to become pushed over to the side finally, it, it, and it's being taken away from science, and it's being taken away from uh, established religion as, as, as a uh, as a general rule. Mm-hmm. You know what you're talking about now. Is this our link between? Um because this is what I'm thinking, but I don't know, I could be wrong, but is this our link between that era in the uh, medieval time where, you know, from my point of view, everybody had a belief to now we have atheism as a belief. Is that what we're discussing? This is a link, isn't it? This is exactly what it is. This is the link in the chain. Yeah. Because really, really, atheism has always been there. I mean, there's always people that didn't believe there was a That's God. right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But because I was, and, I'm speaking in generalities, but yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. There's people that, you know, they just, oh, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Mm. Uh, why? Well, I can't see him. I can't smell him. He can't, mm. I can't feel him touch me. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, well, that's your business, I suppose. Mm. But, but, you know, but that, that's really about all it was. It was just like a person here, a person there, maybe a group of friends, you know, none of them believe. You know, a lot of times criminals, you know, they, they, they almost can't believe. You know, it's like, ah, well, God's not going to hurt me. But watch this. I can lean out the window. Hey, God, strike me dead. Yeah, yeah. See, he didn't do it. Ha, 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right, well, yeah. well, well, there's always that kind of thing, you know. But but it, it was never really an organized movement or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you come to his book, it, 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 because he likes to do this uh, – this uh, history of uh, philosophy and thinking, you know, of, of history of thought, uh, he goes back all the way back to the Greeks and stuff. And, and, you know, there were probably people who didn't believe in the Egyptian gods, and there were probably people who didn't believe in the, That's the right. gods of Babylon. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we have in the Bible, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, you know, I mean, there you go. There are people who've always believed this, but they are not really a factor in the culture. They, as far as it goes, most people go, yeah, whatever, you know, and, and, and we still do that to some extent. It's like, well, you know, we don't care what you think. Yeah. You know, you go into, you go into a church and, and you say, I don't believe in God. It's like, okay, you can sit down and shut up now. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you after the service. You know, <laughs> uh, you know that kind of thing. But generally speaking, it, it, most people don't care. Yeah. You know what other people think, especially if they're in their own group that does care. You know about what they think. You know we've already got our opinion. You know we're not going to listen to your opinion, right? So so you get a lot of that, and uh, and and it really wasn't an organized movement. Uh, it really wasn't. So he starts off with the uh, classical a- atheism, what I would call it, and uh, really the the first. 
organized group of people that he really talks about as being a kind of an atheistic uh, leaning group is a, a small town in, in ancient Greece. Uh, a fellow named Prot Protagoras. Uh, he set out laws that would govern the city-state of Thurioi in 444. And what he insisted on was that, that there would be written laws that had nothing to do with the behavior of the gods. Right, right. Because the gods were capricious. Yeah. They didn't obey laws. Yes. Uh, even though they might punish you for being lawless, uh, the Greek gods uh, were, were very capricious. And he said that this kind of behavior is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And and the people there agreed, and they, that's that was the standard that the, they were to act there actually to act better than the gods, which is kind of interesting. It's yeah, like, yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and, and and the idea, even the very idea of atheism, has been a kind of a more expansive in the past. It'd be a good way to put it. Um, a good example would be uh, what happened to Socrates. And Socrates was considered an atheist, and, and it wasn't because he didn't believe in a god. He believed in the philosophy of God. He actually believed in a god, the unknown god, that made the creation before the, the titans and the gods ever existed. See, when we talk about uh, Plato and uh, the, the Logos and all this stuff, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God before other things were in existence, hmm. okay? And and the, the unknown God, and, and Paul picked up on that. He said, this That's is right. the God I'm to you. Hmm. And and this is a beautiful thing, because hmm. uh, the, if you look at, uh, you go back, the original idea of theosophy, and you look at all the pagan systems, not all of them, but almost all of them have a God above the gods. Yeah. And it's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't let Miss Bavatsky take that word. Maybe <laughs> we should take it back. <laughs> but, but anyway, the, the thing is, is uh, he, he uh, says that the old definition of an atheist would, should be actually considered one who denies the traditional rhythm uh, religion of the Athenian establishment. Hmm, it's pretty good. And that's why they killed Socrates. They made him take a hemlock. And uh, and die uh, amid his students uh, seeing him off and uh, very he touching because he didn't recognize the organized religion of the time. Is that my, my paraphrase? Exactly. Is that correct? And that is a very uh, accurate uh, paraphrase. Okay. Okay. Yes, it is. Mm. And he uh, he didn't accept. Uh, you know, it, it, he didn't even go into whether or not Zeus ever existed or not. He, he didn't even care about that. He was mm. like. These these capricious gods are not the real god. Hmm. They didn't make everything. They 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 can't even organize their own lives. How are they going to organize the universe? Hmm. Right. So so and and that's that's what his teaching led to. And uh, of course, Plato <laughs> enthusiastically embraced uh, Zeus, <laughs> but he he would write about Socrates and uh, use Socrates as actually the voice of his own conscience. Uh, which I, which I find rather remarkable, uh, in and of itself, and and the students picked up on his dialectic and things, and and it's a uh, it, it it made philosophy what it is. Uh, you think about it, but this all goes back to Socrates and his method of teaching, and uh, 
And so it goes back to that. But he was considered an atheist uh, in, in his time, but he really wasn't an atheist. He did believe in a, in a god. Uh, Christians, of course, uh, throughout the time uh, of the early Roman Empire were persecuted as atheists. Uh, that That's that right. was what they called them. That's right. Uh, but, and, and the thing was is that the Christians didn't worship the emperor, mm-hmm. and they didn't worship any of the establ- established and accepted cults. So yes. Those cults were the ones that had were that were inside the pantheon in Rome, yeah. and those were the approved cults. Now, you know, if, if you were maybe like uh, in uh, the Eleusinian mysteries, you know, for example, and uh, worshiping Ceres, you know, with, as either a castrato or possibly as an orgiast, uh, because they did both. Uh, then, then you were probably uh, considered uh, beyond the pale, actually, and they were, you too were an atheist. Uh, same with uh, the Orphic mysteries with their orgies and things like this and their, their mystical trips. They were probably taking drugs. Yeah. Uh, same with Dionysian mysteries. You know, yeah. the, the, all these different, <clears throat> different cults uh, had had an unacceptable side, and then, of course, you know, if you worship Ceres in the temple and didn't do anything terribly crazy, you were actually accepted. <laughs> so, so there was uh, there was this other end of it, and and if you were on one side, uh, you were you were perfectly fine neighbor, and if you're on the other side, you were an atheist. Uh, so you'd, you'd get out a lot of that, and and uh, one of the most notable uh, atheists of the time. And he probably qualifies as a true atheist, probably didn't believe in any gods. Uh, Lucretius, you know him? Yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, Golden yeah. Axe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great great satire. It's a, yes. one of the funniest things of the time uh, the, the, that's written. And they're very interesting how he talks about the mysteries, what Lily talks about him. And Lucretius, we, we can't prove that he was a member. We really don't know for a fact, but he's one of the few to actually show a character who was initiated. So that, that that that's interesting by itself. But of course, you know, you, you get into get into some of the other cults like Mithras and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think Mithras was probably, to be real honest, uh, what I can tell of it, I think it was more like being a mason. It was more of a social thing, maybe a little philosophy on it. It it it, it strikes me as a lot of a lot of uh, made up mumbo jumbo at times. I mean, let's think about it. You know, one of the ranks of initiation is a Persian. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? They're not Persians; they're Romans. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, as far as it goes, I, I think that's about the level it's at. So, so at any rate, we we, we uh, could go from there, you know, and looking at uh, you know the whole time uh, from basically there on all the way up to Elizabethan times, and you really didn't have a solid atheistic kind of front. Uh, you had some people that just didn't believe in the gods of one kind or another. You had skeptics uh, who came out of the pagan tradition but weren't necessarily members of the different cults and things. You know, They may not even have worshipped the gods, but they, they were skeptics about Christianity. Uh, as Christianity was taking hold and, and taking control of the culture, uh, that did become dangerous once the uh, the Inquisition was actually established. <laughs> uh, as far as it went, there were people prior to that that uh, 
would speak their mind, but they, they were kind of few and far between. Uh, part of it was probably uh, a certain amount of uh, conformity in, in people. People naturally conform to, to the, their culture to a certain extent. If you were to uh, be too much of a rebel, I, you really didn't have too many places to go because there weren't yeah. that many cities in those times. Uh, the, the early part of the, uh, uh, the medieval era, the Dark Ages, as they call it, uh, it was, it was uh, actually a time where serfdom was taking, taking deeper root, and uh, people were more and more tied to the land, and they weren't even capable of envisioning a world beyond the horizon. So the, the ignorance of the, the average person was really what you were getting, and the, the people that did know were the ones that had wealth and uh, and, and a horse, <laughs> among other things. So, so you, you know, you didn't really have as much uh, commerce and things like that going on. It just really contributed to uh, a kind of a stasis in the culture and, uh, and really a stagnation. Uh, once you get around about 1,000, uh, you start to see the Western world come awake again. In, in certain ways, uh, where the cities were starting to revive and uh, people were starting to go back into commerce. There was people that more and more people were leaving, uh, running away from the farms and uh, running to the cities and learning a trade and things like that. So you were getting uh, you were getting the beginnings of uh, the working the class. There, Cliff? Huh? Is that the is that the call to prayer there in the background? Uh, yeah, yeah, it sure is. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens uh, every couple hours. Yeah, I recognize yeah, it. Yeah, I, I really don't notice it. To be really honest, I, I now now a little while back uh, it was a little worse than it is now. But uh, there's two mosques pretty close to here, mm. and one of them likes likes good music, and the other one I think thinks the bad singers are spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I got dueling moisines, and one of them, it's just, you just really want to shoot the speakers out. <laughs> but uh, but the, the, uh, the other one is, uh, I, I, I don't know why. I think maybe they might, might have uh, gotten a new sound system or something because I don't hear them anymore. But but the uh, but the good one I I can stand the good one I mean mm. he, he he's he's actually got a decent voice yeah yeah and the other one this guy he could carry a tune in a wheelbarrow <laughs> he's just terrible <laughs> but but there's people the people of all faiths that believe that bad music is spiritual somehow I I just I don't get that one I really don't I don't get that <laughs> well before you before you grab your rug and head off to prayer um we'll just get back to our th that was a joke it was a bad joke yeah i'm yeah, not going to leave that one in <laughs> i'll cut that out <laughs> that's, that's okay no 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 actually it's kind of funny uh but, but what, what you had though was uh that most people were pretty pretty fervent in their beliefs and then you had by about 11 uh, about 1150 is when the uh, Inquisition started. So the Inquisition shut down any discourse uh, along that lines uh, in, in a big way. And and with the uh, wars going on with the Crusades, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of room for it anyway. You know, Europe was actually getting behind its faith, and uh, it was a unified front, as unified as it ever was going to be. So so that's uh, that's one of the reasons we don't see any anything until we start seeing uh, the the early part of the uh, renaissance uh, which starts about 
right, right around the time of Dante, uh, late late twelve hundreds or thirteen hundred. Thirteen hundred is a good date to just kind of put say this is the beginning of it, but it's actually a little before then. Um, but with Dante, Dante is the first real real um, major thinker that comes out, and he he is one of the people calling for reformation. Ah. And, and and that's that's where you start getting with with more of a three free thought more uh, just all kinds of ideas start popping up you know and, and it's a very productive time really uh, intellectually uh, for people uh, and even the Catholic countries in fact especially the Catholic countries uh, Italy was where the Renaissance was really flourishing because they they, 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 that's where you had Venice, you had Genoa, you had uh, Florence. I mean, all these these great trading st- cities. They were they're going everywhere. They were they were doing deals with the, with the uh, the Egyptians. They were doing deals in Morocco. Those are Muslims, you know. There, the, you also had Spain uh, was a was an intellectual center uh, once again. So you had a lot of this already flourishing even before the Reformation. But when the Reformation came, that's when it all kind of hit. And, uh, and, and you see some really wild things start to pop out. You know, you get the Anabaptists, right? And, yeah. and some of the Anabaptists are, you know, practicing uh, uh, some kind of a, almost occultic group sex kind of thing. And, and it's like, where's that come from? Yeah. Well, these kinds of ideas were there. It's not like they weren't there. But now all of a sudden, you know, the, the lids come off and it's starting to come out. And uh, so, so you, you get a little of this, a little of that, a little of the other. And you do have uh, some people that are actually not talking about Christianity. Uh, one of the first ones, in fact, uh, probably one of the most important ones, would have been uh, Giordano Bruno. And, and he, he was actually teaching a post-Christian occultist vision of the future and of course he he saw the occult and science as being one and the same and he he uh, was going back to actually going back to uh, the uh, the neoplatonic gods of the types of uh, platonic schools that julian the apostate was in favor of and he's discarding christianity good old julian <laughs> good old julian See, and, and, and so he's got this vision that's really completely against really what Christianity stands for. Hmm. That's the reason why the, the, they got rid of him in the Inquisition. But Christians were willing to talk to him. Uh, well, Protestants were willing to talk to him because they were free thinkers. They were willing to say, hey, okay, I know that you don't believe as we do, but we want to hear what you have to say about science. Right, yeah. Oh, excuse me a second. I might have something in my door. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Did you hear the Did you hear the birds? Yeah. What was it? Yeah. That, that's my doorbell. Ah. <laughs> oh. There it is again. Somebody keeps hitting my doorbell. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a little Tweety bird. Yeah. <laughs> It does sound real. It's creepy. I thought it was real. Yeah, I thought, oh, okay, there must be a bird on his patio, you know, on your um, 
balcony or something. I just couldn't work it yeah, out. Yeah, no, no. Well, 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 I get them. I get them mm. on my patio. They'll, they'll tweet. Mm. I mean, they're friendly mm. birds. They'll even come in the air. Yeah, I have yeah. birds come in the air. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the birds do come in. But that, that's, that's actually my doorbell, yeah, uh, which is yeah. really freaky. Yeah. That's, like I said, that was, that was a fad back in uh, 2008 when I was here. I probably started maybe a year or two before that, and mm. by 2010 it was done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, started hearing, uh, you started hearing songs, and songs still kind of a popular thing for doorbells. Although you start to hear Ding Dong again. Yeah, no, it's just you know gone back to the regular old bell sound, which is kind of funny. It's kind of gone full circle over here. Yeah, that bird. It took me a little while to figure it out that was my doorbell. <laughs> I had no idea that was my doorbell. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get back to this. And and like I say, as the medieval era kind of comes to an end, you know, you've got the. You got the Renaissance, and the, as the Protestant Reformation uh, fuels the Renaissance in uh, Germany and the Low Countries and England, uh, the Protestant countries, uh, you have a certain stasis in uh, in the Catholic countries, except for France. France has been independent for a while. Uh, you got to remember they tried to take over the papacy at one time and right. uh, had a little bit different view of uh, you know the Pope and his power. Uh, they, they were also a little bit leery of uh, giving the Inquisition too much power. Well, something happened in 1492. Uh, the unification of the whole Spanish peninsula, Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, led to the expulsion of the Jews. Yep, I was going to say that, the expulsion, yep. Uh, the expulsion of the Jews, mm-hmm. and also to the uh, expulsion of the uh, Muslims mm-hmm. and the persecutions of them with the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. So the Inquisition really moved into a permanent shop in Spain, uh, but it wasn't too much in favor in France. The French used it, but not like the Spanish did. And one of the things about the Spanish was that the uh, Spanish Habsburgs, which is <laughs> Ferdinand and Isabella, were cousins, you know, they're all part of the big family there, right? They were the Habsburgs. And uh, the Habsburgs uh, had designs on the old Holy Roman Empire. That included the Low Countries, Germany, and Italy, mostly, and parts of Switzerland and all this stuff. And and so when you had the Protestant Reformation hit, they were they were trying to wipe it out with the Inquisition. And that that's where you get into all the different wars, and we get into John Dee trying to push the, the basically a hegemony of England against Spain in, in the Catholic domination. Okay, and France is kind of playing both sides. And with all this, you have all these ideas, and the, the basically your freer ideas tend to be in the Protestant lands. This is where the liberal tradition starts. Then the Catholic countries, this is where you have the Counter-Reformation. And the Counter-Reformation starts dividing science from the occult. And they, they don't do it at first, but they start doing it, and it becomes a process that is eventually done. And they actually did a good job of it, uh, if you if you actually think about it. Uh, you, you, you had some really weird characters that came out of it, uh, uh, like that uh, Anastasius uh, Kirchner, and he's he's a weirdo, and, <laughs> and he's a Kabbalist, and he's a Hermeticist, but he's also a true scientist. He actually finds some scientific things, but he also <laughs> thinks uh, he thinks that hieroglyphics are. Uh, 
something else, and he misinterprets them. It, yeah. it does a total botch job on yeah. it. It's just hilarious. It's just total mumbo jumbo. Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's why I say, you know, with the occult, you know, it's it's just it's, sometimes it's more funny than it is uh, anything. Mm. Uh, and people really take it seriously, which is really scary. But Kirchner, Kirchner is, can be thanked and blamed for those things. And uh, <laughs> but he did do a very good job of separating chemistry from alchemy. Uh, so did uh, so did some of the others in England, some of the early Rosicrucians, uh, Robert Flood, very good example. Boyle, uh, Boyle's another, and and they 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 may have uh, gotten into certain. Uh, speculations, uh, you know, that, that uh, the Freemasons would get into, like uh, on the uh, the Temple of Solomon and things like this. But they 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 were still mostly essentially Christian, and they were also gradually pulling uh, science away from the occult. It was an interesting process that was going on there, and uh, and, and Freemasonry was right in the middle of it. I mean, the growth of Deism as a philosophy, that that probably has a lot to do with the uh, growth of Freemason. I think I think I think this is kind of side by side and you're getting more free thinkers of all kinds. And uh, with with the uh, Masons the single requirement was the belief in a God. So basically if you saw a person joining the Freemasons, they weren't an atheist. Mm. They may have been something else, but mm. they weren't an atheist. Mm. And generally speaking, uh, just because of the fact that the majority of people in England were devout Protestant Christians, I have to say, probably most most lodges were Bible-reading places. Oh, yeah. So, so you, you know, you, you do have that factor, but it's, it's, also, it's also saying, you know, okay, if somebody comes in and they don't agree with you, you still have to be nice to them. Okay, so as long as he's not an atheist, as long as he doesn't say God doesn't exist, you got to be nice to this guy. You know, there's there's a protocol here, right? And because right. I've done a lot of uh, research on the Masons, uh, what I can gather is that this was a development because the lodges that that were uh, operative lodges were actually working Mason people. You know, they were they were working guys that uh, that had these places where they would go and they would they would check in and. Uh, you know, they moved to one town to another. They'd, they'd find work. It was like a like a union hall, but they'd also have places for you know people to stay. You know, for temporary lodging, things like this. So, and that's why they call a lodge. I mean, it's a place yeah. you could actually go stay at. And uh, often they had food and they had beverages, and they they also uh, you know there'd be an inn there, things like that. So, you know, it was kind of a natural thing to do. And as the more noble people started taking an interest in the secrecy. And, and when you had, uh, you know, towards the end of the uh, Catholic uh, uh, rule in England, it, you, you had a lot more people that were using things like this as promoting uh, Bible reading and uh, things of that nature. So, so you, you're, you're seeing a growth in all this, and, and, it, and it comes probably more from Wycliffe than it does anything else to start with. But then it gets, a, gets a higher and higher with the people. And as it does that, you, you end up with more and more people saying, "Well, let's let's go ahead and relax a little on the religion." You know, you, you get you get this kind of thing going on there. And so that the growth of deism, I, I think we can ascribe directly to that. <clears throat> now, it's with the French Revolution 
that you really get an explosion of, of atheism and also anti-Christian, I, I don't want to say philosophy, but anti-Christian ideas and beliefs just proliferate. And, and some of it's from uh, from this uh, anti-clericalism, uh, the, the abuses of the church. Yeah. And 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 this is one of the things that uh, that uh, McGrath uh, really explains very well. Because when when you have the Catholic uh, Counter Reformation, they were trying to suppress all ideas outside of the Catholic Church, including Jansenism. Okay, which. Uh, which was kind of a, a parallel to pietism in Germany, which uh, became Methodism in America and England. And, and that was really kind of a, a, a big uh, pressure valve for a lot of uh, non-Christian, uh, well, I shouldn't say non-Christian, but, but for the strict uh, old church. You know, they, they would look at the abuses of, uh, say, uh, the, the uh, Catholic Church, for example, especially the Catholic Church. That, uh, that with the Pope and his, his megalomania and his insistence on everybody under him, uh, th- this was hard to live under, and, and people fought back. And, of course, the Pope would bring in his, his uh, Inquisition, and they'd torture people and uh, get them to recant and all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, what the Popes did to, uh, to the Catholic countries was just absolutely suppress them. So when the, the, the pressure started being eased off with the French Revolution, there was so much there, it exploded. It blew up. The American Revolution, you didn't have that. What you had with the American Revolution was you had a lot of, the, a lot of non-established sects in America that were already in place, Puritans for one. Okay, the Puritans... The reason they were expelled out of uh, out of England was because they they were Cromwell's people, and they came the closest to creating an actual the uh, the uh, theocratic theocratic yeah. yeah I was trying to say theocracy but yeah I couldn't get it out yeah theocratic regime yeah. And, and that's really the closest that we had to it within the English speaking world hmm. it was the closest to a, to a theocracy that they ever came yes so you know you 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 did have all these other groups that were willing to fight against the establishment that were already in place in America by the time of the American Revolution. They were already there. This probably prevented the American Revolution from being anti-clerical and anti-Christian. Everybody's real fond about saying, well, Washington, he was a Freemason. Well, yeah, sure. Big deal. Uh, At least he wasn't sacrificing goats out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) He wasn't doing that. <laughs> you know, he wasn't doing that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, that's another another day. So, so anyway, the the, the fact is, is that 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 he 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 shows how this worked. That that the uh, that the Puritans in America were not afraid to oppose the king, and uh, because of that, America was able to exercise a revolutionary attitude without becoming anti-Christian, and it was not part of the part of the ideas there. Uh, it's with the French Revolution that you had uh, had a quite a different matter there, and uh, you take people like Voltaire. Uh, now Voltaire was not an atheist; uh, he was he was actually a deist, and he was also initiated into the, into the Masons. 
Oh, yeah. yeah he was a Mason. And uh, I, I think uh, Ben Franklin that actually had him initiated. So, so there, there, there's these, uh, these connections like that, too. But, uh, but Voltaire wasn't, wasn't an atheist. He, he did associate with atheists, but he was not an atheist. And here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resort to the book here for a minute. Okay. And uh, go into a couple things here. Right, 1700s. Uh, is widely regarded by historians as one of the most dynamic and exciting periods in history. And it is age in optimism with the whiff of revolution in the air. By, by the end of the century, the ancient doctrine that, uh, that the present was doomed to repeat the errors of the past lay in tatters. It seemed that a brave new world lay ahead, unfounded, unfettered by the bounds of tradition. A rising generation could hope to enjoy a degree of freedom denied to their parents and grandparents, but they could only do so by eliminating what stood in their path. There was little doubt on the part of potential revolutionaries as to what the greatest obstacle to human progress was. The church was seen as the enemy of progress, lending a spurious divine authority to the traditions of the past and the corrupt monarchies that depended on them for what little credibility they possessed. Perceptions of the extent of this problem varied across Europe and beyond, with France witnessing perhaps the most concerted and certainly the most influential critique of both the power of the church and the ideas upon which it was ultimately based. In North America, atheism was not taken seriously as a means of social transformation. The solution there lay in a radical reform of the relation of church and state. Ah, division. A reordering in which many see the foundations of America's rise to become the most influential Christian nation on earth. And we can thank the Freemasons for that, by the way. We really can. <laughs> that was their idea. Our story, however, begins in, England, in Britain, destined to be one of the new great laboratories for testing the ideas of the new worldview. And it would sprout up in England eventually, but it's going to explain why it didn't come out very soon. Uh, by the beginning of the 18th century, most in British intellectuals had lost their patience with institutional religion. The English Civil War in 1642-49, which had seen the temporary overthrow of the monarchy and the execution of Charles I, was widely viewed as the outcome of a very un-English religious extremism. Memories of the Puritan Commonwealth, 1649-1660, the nearest thing to a theocracy England had ever seen, were bitter. There was a particular resentment that had forbidden plum pudding. <laughs> plum pudding! <laughs> One of England's relatively few culinary triumphs. <laughs> <laughs> plum pudding. Yeah, plum pudding. And Christmas. <laughs> One of the many uh, merits of Charles II, who was restored in 1660, was that he was totally out of sympathy with the radical Protestantism of the Puritans, just thus guaranteeing that there would be no further government-inspired or imposed uh, religious prohibitions, dancing, card playing. Uh, Christmas, once more, was celebrated as a public festival with plum pudding. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the Puritans, right? What are they? They're a Judaizing tendency. Oh, that's why they're into the Kabbalah. Oh, yes. Because yes. we, we, we touched on this in uh, our last, uh, the last book, yeah. didn't we, this topic? Yeah. We touched mm. on this a lot, you know, mm. just here and there, just mm. kind of getting around. But mm. this is what happens, you know. I, we, we want to say how pagan our past is. It's, it's, oh, give me a break. Let's see some real proof outside of Hislop, you mm. know. 
Mm. Uh, and, and I mean, there's some problems, but you know, let's 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 find the real problems, not not find these pseudo problems. You know, the pseudo problems, toss them out. Yeah. You know, yeah. is there a problem with Christmas? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And the commercialism is sick. And and, and and over here in Turkey, you know, I see the worst parts of the commercial thing being being passed on. You know, they got Santa Claus. <laughs> But you know, I mean, where's where's Christ in this? Yeah, they acknowledge it. Unlike unlike a lot of places in the West nowadays, they acknowledge it. Yeah, they just don't talk about it much. Yeah, yeah, they acknowledge it. They're they're, they're that smart. Mm. Matter of fact, I, I talk to people from Syria and stuff, and and some of the people over there celebrate Christmas with their Christian neighbors. Let's get over it, people. Uh, but yeah, but but this is a Judaizing tendency. This is exactly what it is. This is where you're getting into legalism. And, uh, and wanting to bring back the bring back the law and all that. Well, and and I for one uh, am standing by it. I want plum pudding for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> plum pudding and yeah, for everyone. Christmas ham. I, I, I'm up for ham. <laughs> I'm really up for ham. I've been here too long. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm thinking ham, bacon, ham and bacon for every meal for about two weeks. <laughs> Pork chops, this thick. There you go. When we look at what's going on here, the Jews have been expelled from Spain. Where are they? Well, Germany, Holland, Belgium, Poland. Ha. Ha. (laughs) They're not back in England yet, but during the Restoration, they will come. Hmm. They were expelled by, uh, what's his name, uh, that uh, fought with uh, William Wallace, uh, Longshanks. Longshanks, yeah. Yeah, so when it kicked them out. Yeah. And, and they, they, go, they go to Germany and they go to Spain. Well, now they've been kicked out of Spain. They're talking to people in, in England. England's gotten, had, had a couple generations of a real fascination with Hebrew and Hebrew roots. And they've been trying to get the Jews back. There's probably Jews in London, as it is. There's probably Jews in London and maybe some of the other port cities. But the Jews have not been officially been let back in until the rest of the rest. And it will be James II that does. Okay, and, but that's not in here. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but you see, there's, there's this progress, you know, the, yeah. the, of all these things coming together. <laughs> and we are talking about, well, let's see, the Commonwealth, 16... 49 to 1660. Yeah, yeah. 666, Mr. Shop died speed. That's right, yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, my goodness. Mm. This is amazing. And, and, the, and the Lurianic uh, the Kabbalah Messiah comes and fails. Yeah, and ironically, Just, he comes to Turkey. Yeah, he, he probably right next door here to right this, next this door center. To where you are. That's right. Right, mm-hmm. uh, which is just just amazing to think about. Okay. Now this one here was just built around that time. That's we don't right. know if it's before or after. They won't admit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 uh, we'd like to see the inside of this because this is the oldest still operating one. Mm. So so anyway, uh, yeah, the plum pudding. <laughs> hey, back to the plum pudding. <laughs> it says uh, other cultures might have been tempted to adopt atheism or corporate agnosticism in response to the religious intolerance and bigotry of the Puritan Commonwealth. The English, however, decided to reinstate the Church of England instead, presumably believing that to all intents and purposes, 
This amounted to more or less the same thing. <laughs> Under Charles II, who reigned from uh, 1660 to 1685, he, he's actually the one that brought the uh, Jews back, uh, a decidedly docile form of Anglicanism emerged as a religion of the English establishment. Well, of course, it was the established church, you know. I mean, they're, they're right underneath of the crown. Now, the Church of England would be expected to be submissive to the expectations of the people and keeps its religious beliefs to itself rather than impose them on others. And again, we see the milieu in which the, the Freemasons will rise in about, oh, what, 1717? Yeah. I think it was the first uh, Masonic Charter. Something like that, yeah. So about 30 years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charles II, however, proved far less religiously compliant than the English expected. On his deathbed in 1685, Charles confessed himself to be a Roman Catholic. So that caused, that's what caused all the problems. This fueled a fresh religious controversy which threatened a new civil war in England. The real difficulty was uh, that Charles' son James, Duke of York, had become a Roman Catholic in 1670. Having just managed to extricate himself from, themselves from the excesses of Protestantism, the English Parliament was in no mood to have to deal with its diametric opposite. In 1679, in a desperate attempt to avoid engulfing England into a new religious conflict, the House of Commons declared that the House of York was excluded from the succession to the throne. How the House of Lords, however, and a lot of them were Catholic, yeah. promptly overthrew this act. Charles II was succeeded by his son, who, as James II, promptly, openly confessed his Roman Catholic faith. James's decision to appoint his own choice of Roman Catholic favorites to prominent positions in the state, army, and universities prompted widespread concern and gave rise to furious rumors of a plot to convert England to Roman Catholicism. A new religious civil war seemed inevitable. And there, there were some small persecutions, uh, things like uh, the... Uh, uh, the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury was becoming Catholic again. There were a few other things. Uh, characteristically, English solution, however, laid a hand. James II's daughter Mary had married William III of Prince of Orange, a firmly committed Protestant with a reputation for tolerance and generosity, which didn't hurt. <laughs> uh, a secret approach was made to William by seven leading Englishmen. If he were to invade England, he could count on their total support. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. Uh, and this delayed by storms, William's invasion fleet sailed for England on November 1688. After landing at Torbay in England's west country, uh, William's army marched on London, finally arriving at the capital in late December. Uh, by then, his steady progress had triggered widespread defections to his cause, along with riots and revolts against James's authority. It was simply a matter of time before James's cause was utterly lost. Uh, in January 1689, he left England for France. William and Mary were declared King of England, King and Queen of England on February, but only after agreeing to sign a Bill of Rights that guaranteed free elections and freedom of speech. This was followed by the Act of Toleration letter that year, which permitted those seeking religious alternatives to the Church of England, often referred to as dissenters, to hold their views and religious worship within the law. And, and the, the state of Maryland was uh, created... Precisely because there were a lot of Catholics that suddenly didn't want to live there. Right. And some of them were being expelled because of different hmm. crimes. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the thing is, is that, that Maryland <clears throat> was the only state of the, of the American Union that was specifically named as Catholic. Fascinating. And, and neither one of them were Catholic. Way yeah, yeah. Mary Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very, and, yeah. 
And, and that, that's, where, that's where a lot of this was avoided, because mm-hmm. France was where the real pot was going to blow up. And it was because that there was nowhere to go. I mean, you had people like Locke, you know, and you had uh, uh, Hume, who came a little bit later. But even Hume wasn't an atheist. A lot of people don't pay attention to that. He wasn't an atheist. Yeah. Yeah, he was a deist. He was a nominal Christian. I, I don't know that he was really a believer, but he, he did go to church. Hey, Cliff, while we're on the topic, let's discuss what a deist is, in case people don't understand what we're talking about. Uh, deism is a belief in God, but the, the God is unknowable or unknown. Put it that way. What you get with deism is going back to the unknown God and then stripping away his identity as God of the Bible, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, yeah, yeah, the God as we call him, That's you know, right. the That's Lord, the Lord Almighty, right, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, the, the, and the Father of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we we are very specific about his identity. That's as right, Christian. Yes, deists are not so specifically convinced of that. Not that they, some, not that some of them didn't believe it actually, but they were they were backing away from the established church because the established church uh, was often seen as a as an obstacle to free thinking and free thought. See, this is this is where he he talks about why he became an atheist and and the things that that he admired about atheists and and really the kind of things that are admirable about people who believe this atheism and actually believe it. That, that we respect these people because they've thought it through and they still don't agree with this. And we say, okay. And this, this, this is a really important point here. Uh, generally speaking, nowadays people are, are more likely to say they're an agnostic than they are to say they're an atheist. Yeah. And that was not the case about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know you remember that, because we, 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 we had to listen to all that nonsense back then. And, and, and we, you know, we still hear pretty much the same thing. You know, I, I've got a couple friends that say, well, you know, you're believing in something that helps you live, uh, but I'm a lone wolf. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when I was a lone wolf, I was a predator. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, got, you guys are toothless. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but but you know that, that that's the thing. It's it's like okay, whatever. You know, I mean, we 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 really do do that to people. But there, there there's a point where we don't want to don't want to even argue with them anymore. You know, because we've gone round and round and round, and it's not going anywhere. And they they, they still want to convert you. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, Fundamentalist yeah. atheists. Mm, mm. <laughs> She's on the other foot, people. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. Uh, people are more identify themselves as agnostic. Why? Because they really don't know, and they really want to have a label that resembles that. Then, and they're, they're appalled at what the atheists have become. See, the atheists... We're, you know, when, when, when you looked at somebody like Shelley, you know, he was exciting, and he was seeing a vibrant world, and he even believed in a god of nature. Isn't that interesting? Mm, mm. So, so that's kind of what you're looking at with deism. I mean, you're looking at a god that is not specified 
perhaps not knowable. And if knowable, uh, maybe only knowable through nature or science. So would it be like this idea of the great clockmaker? He created the universe, wound it up, and then walked away and let it run. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that came from, you know where that came from? Originally from, uh, from Newton. Mm. When you got around the revolution in, in France, you know, it, it all exploded. But in England, it was a little more subtle what happened. And, and you had people like Newton and, uh, and, and some, some of the Rosicrucians who were at least spiritual, even if they weren't necessarily Christian. Uh, but, but they had a spiritual belief, you know, and, and it was very clear that they did. But, but the, you started having some people saying, well, maybe the watchmaker's stupid, or maybe he's blind, or maybe, maybe it's not a watch. Maybe this mechanistic uh, universe that he had in mind is not true. And they started thinking in different ways. So, so this, this very subtle uh, change went, went, uh, went along with uh, the, the increasing deism, and, and it increasingly became antagonistic to religion. Does McGrath t- touch on that idea of the great clockmaker? Does he touch on oh, that yeah. idea? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, he, he talk- yeah, he does. He does a really, really nice job showing the and, – and, and it's gradual. You know, it really is. And, and it is gradual how it worked. He shows how it gradually developed over time. Uh, and, and it really it was the thing that happened uh, more with the Enlightenment. Uh, the Enlightenment is where a lot of that kicked in. But there was uh, still, most people weren't willing to give up on their faith. In fact, that's why for so long, intellectual elitists were, were tended to be more atheistic. And other people who may be intellectual, but more common thinkers, uh, didn't go with that, you know? So <clears throat> the trendy, the edgy kind of thought was atheistic. Mm. Well, the shoe's on the other foot, and it has been for about 100 years. Mm. Because atheism did win out. You had what happened with uh, the Russian Revolution that came after, after the French Revolution, and that really put paid to religion. That, that was where the establishment wasn't religious, but it was atheistic. And they tried to rub out religion. But, you know, that's the thing. I've never been an atheist. I have never been an atheist. I've always been... Uh, when, when I did consider it, it comes down to... You can't prove the existence of God, but you can't disprove the dis- existence of I God. Agree. You can't disprove something you don't see. And if God is beyond quantity and quanti- being quantifiable, then how are you going to measure him? That was my problem with atheism from the beginning, and mm-hmm. I've never, never accepted it, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what I've believed. And so I've never been an atheist. I was I wasn't a cultist, but I was never an atheist. Can can I accept that some people do? Yeah, sure. I understand where they're coming from. They they don't see it. They don't understand it. So they don't get it. Okay, fine. That's your business. But don't don't try to push me out of my faith, and don't try to penalize me for having it. Because I'll fight back on that one. And and especially when they start doing it to other people. And it has been. And, and they're wondering why they're losing, losing people. Well, not only are they not good rulers, I mean, they're just as corrupt as anybody else, maybe even worse, because they don't have any moral support to their moral. 
I, what, what is the purpose of morals? In fact, a lot of a lot of atheists say there are none. Since right. there's no absolutes, there is no moral. Well, if that's the case, then why don't you just jump off the bridge? No point. Well, the, they won't put us out of their misery, so or put <laughs> them out of our misery. Uh, put it that way. And the thing is, is that. Uh, that 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 the shoe is on the other foot. They they've proven themselves to be just as bad of rulers as, as any of the worst in the church. I, let's face it. I mean, Russia, what they were doing is a lot worse than even the Catholic Church did. Tens of millions of deaths, starvation, China, Red China. China, Paul Pot. Yep. We we take we take you know even Hitler up to a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hitler, we can't really push on them as an atheist. He, uh, he he's more of a deist. Uh, his his god is actually raw power. But but the thing is, is that he would never have existed had it not been for an atheist overthrow of religion, of the Christian religion specifically. He would never have existed without that. So he filled the vacuum that was caused by atheists. And here, here's really kind of kind of where the point goes. I mean, the the, the overall overarching hmm. reason why atheism ultimately is going to fail and mm-hmm. has to is because not only does it take away the possibilities of investigating God, and and, and which is, which is intellectually dishonest, because they're they're taking away that possibility, they're denying it. Just as much as uh, the Inquisition denied the possibility of contemplating a world without God. Not only do they do that, but they also do not offer the hope that religion does. It doesn't offer the hope. It doesn't offer the benefits. It doesn't offer them the, the moral code. It doesn't offer really even regimentation of a person's life of, among certain rituals. It doesn't have that. It's empty and cold. And when you have people that that are that are forcing an empty, vain, and ultimately cold philosophy onto you because they don't get it on religion, that there's nothing crueler than to strip people of hope and then leave them with nothing. But yes, but I was going to say to you, you know, we know that power abhors a, a vacuum, but I would oh, say. Yeah. But I would say um, it's also, in my opinion, true to say that so does belief. So say we sure. sweep aside, let, let's just say atheism eventually does, you know, recede. What are we going to get yeah. in its place? Well, you know, does he, I, does, I he go, does he go into that? Yes, he, he does go into that a bit. And, and what he hopes, and, and his hope is the church rises to the occasion mm-hmm. because there is a tremendous opportunity. People, people in Europe, and, and look at the alternatives. The, the people in Europe are are responding to their their faith again. But if the church doesn't come in and teach the gospel, the gospel of, of love and uh, where you must love your neighbor as yourself, what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with a, a kind of a, a vain Christendom that, that's going to look at, at, at upholding social values. And, and possibly become persecuting. And I, I dare say that I, I'm, I'm afraid to say it, but, but there are people in Europe that are willing to jump on that. It's not acceptable. What is the alternative? 
Well, the alternative is, is a frightening possibility. This is the time for the church to come up and actually fill, fill the gap. It's time to teach, teach the, 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 the cessation of, of uh, God's wrath with us, promote the, the one-to-one relationship with Christ that produces the good works, that produces the things that faith should endow us with, right? You know, to where we, we do help the poor, we do help the weak, we support the weak, we defend the weak against the strong. Not become the strong to kick the weak around. Oh, he agrees. No, no, no. That, that's the thing. The church needs to stand up. Islam is a lot weaker than what people want to think. And when it breaks, it's going to be a really, really big deal. And I, I do. I believe very strongly it's going to break. And, and, and it might not be long. We have to be ready. Because if we're not, legalists are. The Catholic Church, is, with its legalism, is ready. You can bet on that. They're, they're ready to swallow the whole world if they can. That said, are all Catholics bad? No. No, no. No. But, but the thing is, is that the uh, papacy is ready for this. They have been ready for this. And they've, been, they've been waiting for it for a long time. They're, they're among the people fighting for the apple to drop. And like I say, I think that what you're going to find is that Islam is going to be one of the ones that's broken on the way. And that, that's my personal belief. Mm. And, and, you know, there, there's complex reasons why I say that. But, but I do believe that, uh, that, that when, when we don't look at atheism as being as strong a factor, there's going to be some problems because you're going to have maybe a, an imbalance of thought. And, and that, that's one of the things that atheism has done. It has kept the church honest. You see, a lot of people during the time of the French Revolution, uh, you have the people that were saying, well, obviously this is not the truth because it's not standing supreme, right? So they, they, became, they became anti-Christian. But there were, a lot, there were a lot more people within the church that were seeing this as punishment from God for the corruption of the church. Mm. Two ways to look at the same thing. That's right. So we need to take, take, up, the, take up the gospel. We really do. We need, and we need to present it to a world that needs it. Because otherwise, we're going to see a much crueler world. Hmm. And, it, and it's, going, it's going to be so convinced of its self-righteousness that it's going to be scary. Oh, yeah. And that's what I fear, and that's what I'm pretty much seeing. How does the end come? Well, he delays his coming. Maybe we need to do something to bring him here. Oh, really? You mean we should take over the world? For Jesus? I don't think so. No, not dominionism. No, no, no. That's, not, that's not what we're talking about. No, no. We should we should be helping our neighbor. Mm. Our neighbor needs our help. That's right. Not not taking over the world. We need to we need mm. to help. We need to be salt and preserve a world that that's dying. Mm. We need to we salt. need to be that. That's right. Salt and light. Yes. Yes, well, that's what we need to be. Hmm. We don't we don't need to be the power that grabs somebody by the throat and tells them what to do. Yeah, that's where atheism lost, and they, they, there was no end to it. Really, there, there's so much we could we could continue to do with it. I, and this book is so good. I, I'll tell you what, I, I don't agree with everything he says. Cruzy and hate him because he he thinks that uh, Pentecostalism is a positive thing, but 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 he sees where. <laughs> People and experiencing religion mm. themselves is, 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 is a positive thing. Mm. And, and I agree with that. 
Now, I, and I, I'm also with Cruzy. It's like, you know, bad drafting is bad drafting. There's no getting around that. But when people are putting their own input in, they have a lot more interest, for one thing. What, what you need is a good balance. You know, it, it's like, okay, here's the parameters. Play. That's what we should be thinking. This is life. It, this, it doesn't have to be boring. It's not boring. Theology is fascinating. So get involved in your faith. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, what he's, that's part of what he's saying. It, it, you know, he's saying other things, you know, and, and, and you know, pietism, you know, I look at that and go, yeah, but there was the Judaizing factors there that ended up coming up. But the thing is, is that there's always something that works against it. Mm. You know, if you go too far this way, it pushes the other way. Mm. And, and, and the church is really good at extremes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really. Oh, yeah. Perhaps in some way that this breaking away of atheism from within the church maybe in itself might be part of the birth pangs that is, that is showing that we're coming closer and closer to the end. Yes, yes. And I, I really have reason to think that. Well, that was a broad sweep through about everything <laughs> in history, <laughs> in atheism, in religion that you, anyone could think of in a, in, uh, in a short period, Cliffs. Um, brilliant. Thanks for your time. I, I hope this inspires people to go and get the book. Can you tell us what it is again? Author and uh, title, please. Yes, it's uh, uh, Alistair McGrath, The Twilight of Atheism, and subtitled The Rise and Fall of Disbelief in the Modern World. And uh, it, it, it's a very good read. He's a fine writer uh, and, a, and a brilliant man. Although he doesn't touch on everything I touched on, but uh, he, no, course, he, he yes, does go course, through the yeah. process of most of it. Yeah. And it's very enjoyable. Mm. It really is. It. The, this is a book that I found to be a real page turner, mm. and most of the time philosophy isn't. And, That's right. And, he's a believer now, isn't he? Yeah. He. You know, he's a. He's. He's a very influential believer. He's considered one of the twenty best professors in in the world, okay. and and especially one of the twenty best Christian teachers. Right. And, uh, and and I have to say, he he is not hard to read. He is actually. He's a delight. He's funny at times, uh, right. but he's, he's very serious, and he's also respectful. And mm. and I mm. think that uh, if you want to show this to your atheist friend, that uh, actually it would be a good read for them. All right. It may give them something to think about. Yeah, all right. And, uh, and not only that, it gives you some fuel to actually, or some uh, tools to work with in arguing with your, your atheist friends. Uh, mm. it, it may be a little patience, too. Thanks for that one, Cliff, and we'll catch you again um, either on uh, another Flint Flake or we'll be doing a full show with you on another couple of topics that we've discussed that I can't wait to get to when you get your materials uh -huh. together. Well, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be sitting in my library uh, next time we do one. <laughs> All right. All right, okay. thanks for that, Cliff. Okay, my pleasure. God bless, mate. God bless. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You know, because, uh, you know, the, the hocus pocus, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of endemic to every culture, you know, and that they, uh, they tend to take whatever materials they have and say, oh, this is the secrets of the devil, you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, dude, right? <laughs> they don't know anything. It's the same, it's Beavis and Butthead out there. I mean, they don't know anything. It's like, Check it out, man. <laughs>
And, and then they smoke a little weed, and then it's like, oh, I'm inspired now, right? They create their own nonsense. And, 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 and they do. They do. They create their own nonsense. The only time we need to worry about is when they start sacrificing the cat. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com. That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com.